So as we open, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 6. Our present miracle will begin with verse 15. It's the fifth miracle, the walking over the Sea of Galilee. But in the earlier part of the chart that you have, let's look at uh, some of the details. First of all, how many miracles are in Matthew's Gospel? Okay, in Mark's Gospel. And in Luke? And John has only one. Eight. Now then, in John's miracles, how many of those miracles were before the cross? Seven. Seven. Okay, and of these seven, of these seven miracles that are before the cross, John reveals a purpose, and the purpose is the plan of salvation. And where did we find that purpose of John's gospel? 20, 30, and 31. Have any of you memorized it, by the way? No, I don't guess I've got any answers there. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So, the reason these signs or these miracles, and He said this before the cross, this is in the 20th chapter, He said this concerning these miracles, before the cross. And then John chapter 21 is you have the next miracle, the last of the miracles. And that was after the cross, after the resurrection uh, in John chapter 21. So of these seven, he says, they tell us that we might believe they're written. These signs are miracles or wonders that you might believe that what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. There must be a faith, a personal faith. In Christ Jesus as the Son of God. John's Gospel is very simple. It tells us how to be saved. The first epistle of John tells us how we, what? Know that we're saved. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, Now, what does it say? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. This is 1 John 5, verse 13. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You know, if you notice that verse very carefully, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe. Knowing you have eternal life gives you the confidence to further believe on the Lord for other things. If you know that because you believe on Him and because of faith in Him, you have everlasting life, then that you may and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. It states that over again. The assurance of salvation gives you great confidence to further believe in all the things that Jesus would encourage you to trust Him for. So anyway, we want to give you somewhat a breakdown of these miracles. Now, the, the first three miracles show us how to be saved. Turning water into wine shows us salvation through the Word. Just look on your chart. And then the healing of the nobleman's son shows us salvation through faith. The curing of the Bethesda paralytic shows us salvation by grace. And this fourth miracle that we just studied in our last lesson, uh, some of you were here Wednesday night, uh, and we taught it. The feeding of the 5,000 is the middle miracle of these seven. It's the fourth miracle, and it shows us human instrumentality, what we have to do. It showed us Andrew and Philip and then the little lad that was called upon 
And then the disciples dispensing the bread as Jesus miraculously multiplied it and fed the 5,000. And Matthew's gospel says, beside women and children. So it shows us the, that though the gospel is through the Word of God and faith in the Word of God, and it comes by grace of God, yet it shows you and I that we're to dispense the bread of life so others may receive the bread of life, which is who is Jesus Himself. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he will what? He shall live forever. And you eat of that bread by what? Faith. By trusting in the Lord. Now then, the next miracle, the last three of these miracles, and look at your chart, you have a capital C, and it shows us the results of salvation. And the one we're studying tonight is number five there. You'll see it very readily. And it teaches us that the walking over the Sea of Galilee, the first result of salvation is peace. You see peace on the right-hand side of your column there? Number six, the giving of sight to the blind is light. And the raising of Lazarus from the dead is life. So the results of salvation, you have peace with God, you have light or sight, and then you have life. And these are results. Now then, we'll study this fifth one. Look at the fifth miracle, the walking over the Sea of Galilee. And it's a very short miracle, but I want you to listen to it as we look in John chapter 6, verses 15 through 21. There may be some details on that chart that we won't uh, go into that will help you. If you look at the past, present, and future of the three miracles, that will help too. But we will deal with the miracle itself, beginning with verse 15. Notice in John 6, verse 15, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take Him by force to make Him a king, He departed again into a mountain Himself alone. The other Gospels tell us He departed in a mountain to pray. He got out of the crowd. Uh, They wanted to take Him by force and make Him a king. He would not use this opportunity for a political, so to speak, advantage. You know, a lot of folks, when they get someone really in favor of them, like these people were crowding around Jesus, and, 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 and they would come and take Him by force to make Him a king, what did He do? He departed. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Remember later, He says, My kingdom is not of this world. He says, If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But He says, My kingdom is not of this world. And he was born king of the Jews, the Bible tells us. He was indeed a king, and he shall come again as king of kings and lord of lords. But Jesus pushed back from this idea that people wanted to crowd around him and give him some a position uh, to make him a king and to possibly overthrow the kings and powers that be in that day and hour. That was not his purpose at all. He came to die on the cross to save us. By His redemptive blood. We sing a song, Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the Bible teaches that that's exactly how we are redeemed. We had in our lesson this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, 
from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It says, who verily was foreordained, but was manifest, made known, manifest in these last times for you, for us, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. So your redemption is through the, the redemptive blood of Christ. We could give you scripture after scripture that shows you that. But Jesus did not want to be made a king. And so he departed again into a mountain himself alone. After he'd fed the 5,000 and they were flocking around him. Now verse uh, 16. And when the even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship. And went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. By the way, I, I must uh, acknowledge Brother Wendell last week. He called my attention. I was looking at the map, the Sea of Galilee, on the left-hand side of the map. And I said it was east, but it's west, you know, naturally, on the left-hand side. So, he corrected me when, I went, when he went out the door. So, it's on the west side that you have Tiberias and Genesaret. And so you have those two on the left-hand side, but Capernaum is kind of at the top across, I believe, and it's about three, three and a half miles if you come across there, and uh, approximately. So anyway, we find that uh, that uh, he entered into a ship, verse 17, and they entered into a ship, rather, and uh, went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. This was very disturbing to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, and a furlong is 220 yards, and five and uh, five and twenty, or twenty-five we say, or thirty would be three or three and a half miles, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. Mark's gospel tells us that they were in the midst of the sea. Mark 6, verse 47, When the evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. Mark also says, And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. They had a battle on their hands. But in our text here, it says, And the sea arose, verse 18, this John 6, verse 18, by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, verse 19, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh to the ship. He was walking on the sea. Now some have uh, tried to explain away this miracle of Jesus walking on the sea and saying, well, He was walking close to the shore and they, they thought He was walking on the sea. I think those fishermen and those men that were well experienced with the sea knew that he was walking on water. The Bible tells us that he can do that. Let me see. I think I've got a reference in the book of Job. Job chapter 9 and verse 8 says this, "...which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea." He treads upon the waves of the sea. So Job knew that a long time ago, that Jesus could walk on water. Long time back. Sometimes we get the idea that things that happen 
That's the first mention and the first notice of them at all. If you go back and study and read the Old Testament and the Psalms and, and Job especially and some of the other uh, scriptures in the Old Testament of prophecy, you'll find a great deal of, of things revealed to us that uh, the modern uh, man has figured out that this has just now started. I remember telling about uh, or one of our professors, Dr. Roy Kemp, uh, when I was going to seminary in Arlington many, many years ago, and we were on the farm at that time, and and, and Tom remembers this, Tom and Dottie, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, when this guy came around selling this uh, waterless cookware, you know, came around and he says, now you can put your roast in here, you don't have to put any water in it at all, it'll be just roasted without any water, and they had all these uh, waterless cooking utensils, they were good too, nothing wrong with them. But anyway, this fellow came around selling them, wanted to sell Dr. Kemp some of these. And he says, now, you know, we've just now found out that you can cook a roast without any water. Dr. Kemp says, you know, says Moses told us about that back in the book of Exodus chapter, chapter 12. And he says that, he says, when you roast that lamb, he says, roast with fire, not sodden at all with water because that ruins the flavor. And he told, pointed that scripture out to him, and he said, "This young man, this salesman, came back later on, and he was just elated because he said he had sold more of that cookware than he had ever sold before because he found out he could refer to the Bible and say it was known a long time. Moses knew you could cook roast without water. So you see a lot of things that we think we just now learned about. You know, we figured it out. God had it figured out a long time ago." And he even revealed many of the things in the prophets and in the Word of God. So let's go on with a story here, and then we'll come back and talk about what we see in the way of a picture of, of uh, the sinner and salvation. We know these disciples were God's children already. But in every one of these things, we'll point out that the, it's typical and it's symbolical of uh, some things that uh, relate to a man uh, needing to be saved, and then as a result, having peace with God uh, as a result of God stilling the storm and Jesus coming in the way that He did. So, verse 19. Uh, it says, So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh to the ship, and they were afraid. But He saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Now, when Jesus comes, you don't need to be afraid. He says, It is I. He had power over nature. He has power over... You know, everything is submissive to the Lord, but man, he has a rebellious spirit. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he is despised and rejected of men. Remember when he came into, the, into Jerusalem sitting upon a colt that had never been ridden, and this colt was perfectly submissive to the Lord? We find that he stilled the winds and the waves. We find that he was with wild beasts in the great temptation and nothing happened to him. And angels came and ministered to him. We find that man is the rebellious creature, isn't he? So anyway, it is I, be not afraid. Verse 21, Then they willingly received him into the ship. Reception of Christ into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Remember, they were in the midst of the sea. They were out in the middle of this sea of Galilee. And immediately the ship was what? At the land whither they went. They had reached their destination. Now then, I want us to notice this miracle in the form of a parable as well. 
It forms a kind of a parable. And by the way, each miracle in the Bible will reveal to us the plan of salvation. If you'll take every miracle, especially the miracles of Jesus, you'll see the plan of salvation. In almost all the miracles, you'll see that there's a picture of the lost sinner. And secondly, a picture of a wonderful Savior. And thirdly, a picture of a perfect salvation. You can take the, the leper. The leper's unclean. What happens? That's his condition. Leprosy is a picture of sin. He comes to Jesus. Jesus, what does he do? He, the, the picture of the wonderful Savior, he cleanses the leper. And then he goes on his way made whole and clean. A picture of a perfect salvation. You could take that and apply it to any of the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament. All of those in Matthew and Mark and Luke's Gospel that we said 20 and 18 and 20. And then these in John's Gospel. And some of these do overlap, but they are specially chosen for the purpose that John, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, chose to give us these miracles. So anyway, in verse uh, 21 it says, Then they willingly received him in the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land where they went. So considering this miracle... Revealing to us the condition of a lost sinner. We know that the disciples were saved. But if this is a picture of salvation and the first result of salvation is peace, and we've been studying that, I want you to notice the condition of a lost sinner. First of all, they were, they were in great danger. The sinner is in great danger. He's facing doom and destruction. They were in a storm and they were rowing and they were doing their best to get out of it and there was no way, humanly speaking, that they could uh, battle this storm. The Bible teaches that we're all under the curse of sin, that the wages of sin is death. The Bible teaches that we're in great danger. But what the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They were not only in great danger, but they were in great darkness The sinner is lost and in darkness. Notice the scripture in verse 17. They entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark. It was now dark. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. The Bible tells us that man is in the darkness of sin. He's in darkness as far as any spiritual light is concerned. He is blinded through sin. The sinner needs light. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, well, he says in verse 3, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So man is blinded. He's blinded by sin and he's blinded by Satan. And so the sinner... In his condition is seen here, in great danger, facing death and destruction. He's in great darkness. He's lost. He's blinded through sin. And he needs the light of God. And furthermore, it says, they were toiling in rowing. Look. So when they had rowed, verse 19, about five and twenty or thirty furlongs. Now this is where Mark's gospel comes in, chapter 6 and verse 48. He saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. 
So they were not only rowing, and they had rowed five or twenty or thirty furlongs, about three, three and a half miles. And even with all that rowing, bending of oars, and trying to fight the storm, and trying to get where they were going, he saw them toiling and rowing. Their condition was hopeless. They seemed like they were not getting anywhere. They tried to get to their destination by their own efforts. You know, there's many a sinner out there today trying to reach heaven by his own efforts, his own works, and his own ways. You can't get to heaven on your own. You're not saved on your own. And you see, you can row and you can work and you can uh, join the church. You can try to keep the golden rule and the Ten Commandments, which we don't. But Jesus has kept it for us. The Bible says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. By the way, He's not the end of the law, but the end of the law for righteousness. The law is still in effect and it still has its uh, penalty when we break the law. Anytime you break the law, you're going to have to suffer the consequences. That's why it's still true you can preach the Ten Commandments because the Bible says, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not commit adultery. When you do those things, you're under God's condemnation. But the Bible does tell us that no man is justified or saved by the righteousness of the law. That you're saved by grace through faith. So wherein we failed and wherein our sinfulness is revealed by the law, Christ fulfilled the law for us. And the Bible says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, a sacrifice for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Now listen. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, the law could not save us. What the law could not do. Uh, Paul tells in Galatians and Romans both that uh, a man is not justified by the works of the law, or deeds of the law. For by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And we're saved by grace through faith. So here, we find they were toiling and rowing. They were trying to reach the shore by their own efforts. And remember, it was hardly any further straight across from the place they were going than three to three and a half miles. And yet, they were, they'd already gone that far out in the, and they'd gone the wrong direction, were tossed in the midst of the sea. Mark says they were in, in the midst of the sea. So they were not getting anywhere. You know, there are many people today that are trying everything in the world and everyone in the world but Jesus. And they're not getting anywhere. They're not getting anywhere. They're just trying everything that's on every hand. The Bible says there is a way. There is a way. Look at this. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. So every man has a different way. But all those ways are the ways of death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but what? By me. He is the only mediator, the one and only way to the Father, and the one and only way to heaven. And that is by faith in Him as well. And so they were all out to try to get where they were going. And all of their own efforts were absolutely futile. Absolutely futile. I want you to see what really happened. Verse 21, Then they willingly received Him into the ship. The Bible says, As many as received Him, to them gave He power 
to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. That's John chapter 1, verse 12. As many as receive Him. That's receiving Him by faith. And to them gave Him what? Power. The word power there means the right or privilege to become, to be called, to, to be, be the children of God, even to them that believe on His name. So someone might say, well, I feel presumptuous. I feel like I'm presuming to call myself a child of God. Not upon the promise of, of the Lord, you don't. Because he says if you've received Him, you have the privilege and the right to call yourself a child of God. If you've received Christ by faith, if you've truly repented of sin and turned to Him in faith, you have the right to call yourself. It goes on to say, which were born not of the flesh, not of blood, not of the will of man, but of God. You were born again in doing that. We taught this morning on 1 Peter chapter 1, living in hope, living in holiness, and living in harmony. And being born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Alright, this notice they could not reach. Then they willingly received him in the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Peace will not come by our own efforts, but by Jesus. Immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. That means that they had reached their desired haven. There was no more toiling. No more sweating. No more rowing. They were safe and secure immediately. It's a picture of our security in Christ. You come to the safe, safely to the shore. And there's peace. They had no more worry about the, the storm. They had no more worry about the, the boat out in the midst of the sea and being tossed with the winds and the waves. They were completely at peace because they had reached their destination. And they had reached their destination. Uh, Psalm 107, verse 30. Let, let me read this for you. Psalm 107, verse 30. It says, Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So He bringeth them to, unto their desired haven. Psalm 107, verse 29 there says, He maketh a storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they, be, they glad, because they be quiet, the ways are quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. If you go back beginning reading in verse 23, it shows us the storm on the sea in various ways. Look at Psalm 107 verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters... These see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. By the way, if you've ever been on the ocean in the midst of a storm, a typhoon. I was in that last typhoon in the 40s uh, when in the end of the, the Second World War that they had one. You, you remember reading of it and hearing of it off the coast of Japan? And I was in that on an aircraft carrier. And even as large a ship as and ours was not a large aircraft carrier, it was an escort carrier escort. But I'm telling you, even a ship that big can be tossed mightily in the winds and the waves. And there were some ships capsized uh, like a destroyer. Uh, in fact, there's a friend here. I could call his name. I will not. But his brother was killed because his, he was on a destroyer during the early part of that war and it was capsized. 
and the ship was sunk and, and the lives, all the lives were lost. It was just a terrible storm. That was an earlier storm in World War II. But anyway, if you've ever been, you know what uh, the sea can do. It can get very wild. And uh, remember the, the sailors on the ship when Jonah was, was on that ship, uh, they wanted to find out what was the cause of this storm. And finally they said, well, listen, Jonah, if you're the cause of it, we're going to toss you overboard. And so they did. And a great whale swallowed up Jonah and he had his experience in the belly of the great fish and there he prayed out of the fish's belly. If you remember the story, he prayed, he says, all his vanity and vexation of spirit. And he says, he's prayed a lot of things. And finally he says, salvation is of the Lord. And that old whale couldn't stand it any longer and he throwed him up on dry ground. Then he went about his business preaching the word. What God told him to do to start with instead of trying to run away from God. So anyway... Notice this in Psalm 107, verse 23. For they that go, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind. Look what? For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven; they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. I remember on the ship one time, or not just one time, but many times, that you'd have to have these big old long tables for, uh, for food, mess tables, and you have a tray, and you, you sit there at the table and you hold that tray, and you hope it doesn't slide off and you don't turn over, and the, the, mug of coffee is just sloshing everywhere and you grab a hold of that to keep it from spilling. So you hope you can keep it intact so that you can eat it later on. And I'm telling you, that 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 can toss up and down. So it says, they mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths, their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits end. Then they cry, look, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. What does it take to get men to cry unto the Lord in their trouble? And it says, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. The answer to the sinner tossed to and fro by the winds and storms of life is what? To turn to the Lord and cry unto the Lord for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And it says, He bringeth them out of their distresses. He makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then, after this, the storm is a calm, the waves are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them to their desired, unto their desired haven. You know, the desired haven for men in this life, for salvation, the first thing is peace. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The verses before that tell us in the last part of the fourth chapter that that if we believe on Him who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, it, our righteousness, shall be imputed unto us. So when righteousness, the righteousness of God is imputed to us and God is uh, no longer angry at us because of our sins and we've repented and turned to God, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, His 
death and His resurrection. And Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, because of that now, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Another scripture is in Philippians 4, verses 4-7. through 7. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. You get that? If you think you understand the peace of God, you don't. Because it says, The peace of God, which passeth all understanding. We have it, but we don't even understand it. We were justified by faith. We have peace with God. We know we have it. We know that God has given it. We know that He promises. We know it's because of His Word. But He says here, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God shall keep. It means shall rule or control or be the emperor or guide of your hearts and minds. So back to our miracle now. Then they willingly received him in the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. What a picture of not only peace, but safety and security. They had reached their desired haven. We sing another song. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, laid for your faith in His wonderful Word. The salvation that we have brings peace. The first result... Remember the demonic that was the man that was possessed with demons, a man called Legion? And what happened to him? Jesus came and he cast out those many demons. And what happened? They said that the man was seen sitting. He'd been in the tombs and the chains were about him and he broke the chains and the, the bindings that men would put upon him to try to control him. He was a maniac. He was crazy. He was strong, and in that demonic strength, he could break the chains. You know, the devil's powerful, but not as powerful as God. All powers of God. The Bible says the powers that be are ordained of God. But anyway, back to the story. When, the, when Jesus took care of those demons and cast them out of this man, he was seen sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Can you imagine the peace that overcame a man that was possessed with so many demons inside? You and I have one little besetting sin and it disturbs our peace, doesn't it? And our fellowship with God. How much more do you think a man fully and completely and totally possessed by Satan would be uh, just tossed to and fro and not have any peace? The Bible says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And then when the Lord comes and brings that peace, then what happens? He was sitting and clothed and in His right mind. You and I can see the picture of the salvation that Jesus can bring. This miracle here shows us the condition of the lost sinner in great danger. It shows us the fact that he's in the darkness. It shows us the fact that he's blinded through sin. It shows us that he toils. And he toils hopelessly that they could not reach the other side and get out of the storm by their own efforts. And Jesus, when he entered the ship, immediately the ship was at the land where they went. There's one other thought I want you to see. And I believe it's worth pointing out. 
Verse 19. No, let's see. Where did I find it? Let me glance through the miracle here. Take him. Before they see Jesus walking on the sea. I think you picked this one up in Mark's Gospel. Oh yeah. Mark chapter 6 verse 48. Let me read verse 47 48. When the even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea. This is 47 in Mark 6. In the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing. That, that statement, and he saw them. Before he walked to them, he saw them. You see, God sees us. And he saw us before the foundation of the world. He saw, Jesus saw them when they were in the dark. Jesus saw you when you were in the darkness of sin. He sees lost sinners. He sees a lost world. And He saw us before He came down from the council halls of eternity and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and before He died on the cross. It's kind of like the prodigal son. Remember when the prodigal had ran away from home? And the Bible says, when He was yet a great way off, the Father, what? Saw Him and ran and fell upon His neck, had compassion and fell upon His neck. And He began to welcome Him home. So, the thing about this message is that God sees the lost sinner and He sees the terrible fix He's in and He, by His grace, reaches out to the man that is in need just like He did in the Bethesda paralytic. He says, Wilt thou be made whole? And the man said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. He says, I can't help myself and no one else can help me. But Jesus, in grace, Save this man. Well, here you find that uh, the picture is that the lost sinner is in a terrible fix and he needs the Lord's salvation. We'll take up the next miracle in the ninth chapter and we'll find that the giving of sight to the blind shows us uh, a further need and that is light and sight. We'll pick that one up in our lesson this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We thank you for your